Grab it again, son. Grab it again. Grab it again. We ain't we talking about now. What you talking about? How big it's fat. Grab that. Yeah. Your line of questioning isn't it, it isn't uh, conducive to a good interview. Why is that? It just isn't. It's not going anywhere. You're asking me this. this, 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 this is, What's wrong with that line of questioning? It's unfair. It's a tough defeat. You know, this was getting beat by a pound-for-pound pound great fighter. We've been here before. You've been here Madison Square Garden. That was different. This is just being beat by a better man on the night. And uh, you have to make some, some big changes in the rematch to avenge that defeat. Listen, this rematch is going to happen. I'm going to show you what I can do. I've got another level. I've got another gear. It looked like you could have done that for 15 rounds in there. Like an old school fighter. You know, the one 15 rounds used to... And welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where your promoter doesn't read the contract they sign, as we found out this week. But more importantly, welcome back, guys. And there's a few things to touch on as we head into the weekend, but I think the Dillian White versus Otto Wilden thing is, is proving to be more interesting than we thought it would be. So here's what we know. There was a fight scheduled, Dillian White versus Otto Wilden, 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 whatever you want to call him. And it was scheduled for October 30th. We all knew this. It was going to be on zone. It was going to be at the O2. All sounds pretty standard. Now, the news comes out, so it starts leaking out Wednesday, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, that Dillian's injured himself. And the fight's off. Not the fight's going to be postponed. The fight is off. And so that sets alarm bells ringing. So... So I think there are two responses to this. There's kind of like the casual fans' response, which will be, oh. And then the people who know boxing who go, hold on. But you're not doing anything in that week that would injure you. Do you see what I mean? You're, you, you, you're not, because if that was Dillian versus AJ, the last two weeks, you're just tapering down. You've done all your work. In fact, Dillian's been in camp since God knows when. So you're just really tapering down, keeping sharp, and maybe, I don't know, it, it's light. It's not like you're going to war with anyone at that point, because all the work's done. You know, you're not going to get any additional benefit from going hard in the last two weeks. So to get injured, then you're like, ah. And I always say this, I don't know if it's real, I don't know if it's fake, but when you talk to people in the sport, you're like, you shouldn't really be getting injured at that point. It, it feels suspicious. And I go back to the Dev Sani tweet of god knows when that's got to be two weeks now where he's like i wouldn't be surprised if there's a if there's an injury and there were all sorts of reasons mentioned behind it but the sum total is no one's talking about that fight being rescheduled that's the red flag for a boxing fan you're like well why wouldn't you reschedule the fight if it's that important and it all depends on how you read the situation currently right now if the wbc said that their WBC champion Tyson Fury will be mandated to face the winner of Dillian White versus Otto Wallen. And I, like, I'd have to go back and see the exact wording of the WBC, like the official wording. But if they said that the winner of Fury Wilder will fight the winner of White versus Wallen, then that's a clear direction. If they said the winner of Fury Wilder will fight the interim champion. That's a different discussion. 
And no one gets smart and say, well, he's the interim champion. He deserves to do X, Y, Z. That's not how it works. Yeah. You can give anyone any title you want. There's no clear link between the titles. It's just, you know, it's mostly ceremonial. It's like being a diamond champion. What does that really mean? Not much. Because some fans said Teofimo is not undisputed because he had a diamond belt. Some people say he is. So we're not actually clear on what these belts mean. But here's the real issue. When this fight doesn't happen for that WBC interim title on October 30th, you take money out the pockets of the WBC. Who knows what the sanctioning fee was? Let's just say the purse pot for that fight is $5 million. I'm just picking a number. It probably isn't that high. I don't think it's anywhere near that high. But let's just say it's $5 million. If they're getting 2-3% of the total purse for that fight, that's a lot of money. We can all agree on that, right? That's 150 grand. So someone's just taken 150 grand. It's probably closer to 100 for the WBC. But they've taken that off the plate. So now the WBC are like, we're 100 grand down here. You know, we'd have got the 100 grand for this fight. We'd have got the, whatever, four, 500 grand for the Fury fight. We're down 100 grand here. Someone needs to make this right to us. And so that will need to be addressed. There's no question about that. Because that's how these things work, right? Everyone's got their cash flow projections. These guys have expensive tastes. So they're like, we need to be looked after. And so that's my concern at this point, is that the WBC will simply say, we said the winner of one fight would fight the winner of the other fight. Therefore, that other fight has to happen. And if you look at it, Dillian doesn't have that political muscle with the WBC, does he? Where he can, he can get away with that. But I sit and I rack my head and I go, is there, is there another reason behind this? Because... It's a very definite move. It's a very definite move that says we're not going to fight Otto. That's done. That's dead in the water. You'd only do that if someone had said to you, you're guaranteed the fight you want next year. So let me, let me explain my logic. And this hasn't come from anyone. This is just my logic at the moment. Tyson Fury is going to fight one of two people, right? We can all agree on this. Regardless of what the WBC rule, he's going to fight one of two people, Dillian White or Otto Arlen, right? Because that's what was mandated. Well, sorry, that was what was ruled. And therefore, one of those two was going to be declared the mandatory and the mandatory was going to be called. So then you've got, you've got that scenario Fury doesn't want to fight Otto Wallen again. There's no money in that for him. And I think it, it's the fight he took the most punches since his comeback. I think he took more punches in that than the first Wilder fight and the Klitschko fight combined, according to Dimitri Salita. Why would you want that fight? Southpaw comes to fight, seems to have a pretty solid chin, might open up the cut again. You don't really want that. It wasn't a great fight to begin with. It wasn't lucrative. It doesn't work. That fight doesn't work for anyone. Fury versus Dillian White does. It's a fight Fury should win. It's a fight you can do in the UK. It's a fight that will fill a stadium. Serves as a good homecoming for Tyson. And it makes money. Because I think he's got one fight left with Bob. 
so Bob's going to be like, just get the Dillian White fight done. If we can't get Joshua Usyk, let's get the Dillian White fight done and go from there. So I can see someone from top rank going, don't, don't risk this fight because we don't want to fight Wilder. We'd rather fight Dillian. And if you can get out of this, get out of this. So I imagine as soon as Fury won, Team Dillian were looking at the paperwork going, how can we get out of this fight? Even if we have to pay, we'll get out of this fight. It's not worth the risk. Which is, is harsh on a boxer in Otto Wallen who who's put the work in. He's done the camp, he's done everything, he's, he's grafted. So to lose that opportunity is unfair, he, you've incurred costs. But if all of this turns out to, be, to go the way that I want, I'd like it to go. I assume there'll be a, a check making its way over to the United States for Otto Allen to, to keep quiet. And he'll get, he'll get his shot in due course. But the important thing here is to understand that this is a dirty business. And that all relies on the WBC playing ball. Because if the WBC don't play ball, then it gets really, really messy. So if we try and map out the timelines like this, Fury said he won't box again for at least six months. So Fury's out till April, May time. Dillian's out injured. Let's just assume the injury is serious. Well, even if it's not, like you have to give the pretense that it is. So Dillian doesn't train October, November. December's Christmas, right there off. So he don't train till the new year. So he's not going to box till April. Joshua Ruiz 2, Joshua Usyk 2, will happen around about Easter time next year. So the problem you have is if the WBC say Dillian has to fight Otto Wallen, he'll have to do it early next year, around about April. But by that point, the road to Undisputed opens up again because there would have been a clear winner between Joshua and Usyk, hopefully, and Fury's got the WBC belt. Now, all the, go- all the sanctioning bodies will say, right, we need to make that fight happen. And that will be a two-fight deal. So even if you get the first one at the end of the year, the second one won't be till 2023. So when does Dillian get his shot? 2023? So theoretically, if the WBC say Dillian has to fight somebody else before he gets a shot at Fury, he doesn't get the title shot for two years. For two years, by which point he'll be 35. And he would have been through, what, six or seven grueling camps? Yeah, how long can your body hold together for when you put it through what he puts it through? Now it starts to feel really unfair on Dillian, doesn't it? But then who's got the political muscle with the WBC for the WBC to say, actually, you don't have to fight Otto Wilder. It's not Eddie Hearn. And it's not Dillian White. So it would have to be Bob Arum who went to the WBC and said, guys, can you just give us a squeeze this time? Let's just try and clear up the heavyweight division so the new breed can come through. Otherwise, it's going to get really messy really quickly. And another thing to consider is actually that the money wasn't really worth it. The risk-reward for this fight wasn't worth it because I think this was one of those fights that was going to be a sleeper classic. So it would be one of those fights where, for what both men went through, they weren't paid enough. And I think Team Dillian probably sussed this out and said, is the risk worth the reward? Because even if we do win this, it's going to come at a price. And that price may affect our ability 
to then invoke our mandatory status. So we might have to take some time off. I don't think Ottawa Island's an easy fight for anyone. I, th- I, I think he gives Joshua all kinds of hell in the pro ranks because, as we've seen before, when someone can stand up to Joshua's power and intensity, he tends to fade. So I imagine it's just a fight there. It was like, no one needs this fight right now. Like, let him go and fight Hellenius. Let him go and fight Yoka. And meanwhile, we'll, we'll, we'll focus on the business of making money. Bearing in mind the contract Fury signed with Bob Arum, which was, I think it was a guarantee of 80 million with obviously money on top of that. So everyone's going to make their money back because uh, we might touch on this in, in another episode. Boxing's a rapidly declining market. So everyone's trying to get every penny they can before this thing starts to disintegrate. For the reasons I talked about in the previous podcast, the product's not that good anymore. It's almost become a formula to to make fans wait for fights like we're doing. And then when we do, the, the fight cards are very weak. So if you look at this fight, Dillian pulls out. They're telling us Chantal Cameron's going to headline an O2 show. And there's nothing, no shots to Chantal Cameron, who I think is easily one of the better female boxers on the planet and one of my favorites. But Chantal Cameron's never boxed in the O2, to the best of my knowledge. And Chantal, she definitely hasn't headlined. And she's not a London-based fighter. She's, what, she want Northampton? Like, what constituent fan base is she going to bring? She isn't. So you've, you almost set her up to fail. So essentially, at the O2, you're going to have a next-gen card. Now, if you didn't buy your ticket on, on a credit card so you can cancel it, you're stuck. In cold, hard terms, you're stuck. You, know, you paid, I don't know, 100 quid, two grand for a next-gen show. Now, who's even going to watch that final set? Everyone's Saturday is now opened up, so everyone's going to hit the the Halloween disco at the local pub or, I mean, I don't know, Lava Ignite on a Saturday night for the the Halloween boogie or something. But the whole hard reality of it is there's no interest in that card and people pay good money for what they thought was the the last step before Didion got his world title shot. Now, go back four years. When Klitschko pulled out of the Joshua rematch and then Pulev pulled out of that mandatory and they were left with Takam, Eddie said, for my big fights, I always have a backup option. It may not be as good as the original fight, but I always have a good backup option. So where was the backup option here? The, the man who was so meticulous and loves to tell you how prepared he is for everything. Where's the backup option? There isn't one. And it goes to show there never is one with him. It's desperation and he's scrambling at the moment for reasons we might, we might talk about later, but he's definitely scrambling. But let's talk about Dimitri Salita for a second. Um, I mean, to British fans, he's most famous for, for getting beaten by Amir Khan. But in his own right, Dimitri Salita was a solid fighter. You've got to respect him. He, he did it all the right way. And so in the sport, he's respected. And he's also respected because he never sacrificed his Orthodox Jewish faith in the pursuit of boxing glory. He was always true to his faith, and you've got, to res- you've got to respect that, because in a sport that requires sacrifice in its own right, that's an additional sacrifice to put on top of it. But you have to worry when your promoter doesn't know what's contained in the contract in the event of a cancellation. Dimitri Salita didn't know, but is, is happy to admit 
he had heard the rumours about Dillian pulling out. At which point, any sensible promoter would have gone and looked at the contract and reminded Eddie that if Dillian pulls out, we need to reschedule within two weeks or whatever. It looked like he was caught on the back foot. Now, I don't know why that is. I don't know how that's happened, but it looks like he was caught on the back foot and he wasn't able to answer the questions on the IFL interview. So, it looks like one team was more prepared for this than the other. Although they, they both should have been prepared because they knew that this was a high-risk, low-reward fight for Dillian. And it was a high-risk, high-reward fight for Otto. So I was disappointed that Demetrius Salita didn't really understand. I was disappointed that he didn't have clarity from Eddie on what was happening. And he didn't seem that bullish about getting the WBC to side with him. I only say that to say to people, now you understand why choosing your promoter is really important. Because I think Salita had Jarrell Miller as well. And Jarrell Miller is one of the few boxers who actually got banned for doping. No, one, nothing, no machine came in behind him. That's another Salita guy. Clarissa Shields has had to come to Sky and fight Savannah Marshall here to make money. Another Salita fighter. So you look at Demetrius Salita and you're like, well, mate, I feel you're dropping the ball right now. And maybe you're not doing the best for your guys. Now, I don't know if that's true or that's not. But what I can say is he's taken a lot of body blows. And it must be pretty demoralizing if you're a Salita fighter that you're not, you're not treated with the same respect that these other guys are. If, if Otto Island was promoted by Bob Arum, this fight would be happening or would have been rescheduled. Yeah. And that's the sad state of affairs now. So all you guys who think that, you know, you should be loyal to someone, this is why you shouldn't be loyal to anyone in boxing. Because there's no guarantee that that guy's not going to drop the ball because Salita definitely dropped the ball. He may know more now, but it just means he's behind the story. He can't be proactive. He's just reacting to events now. But you knew I was going to come back to Eddie. And I just want to go back to, was it September, October 2019? When DAZN just came out and said, this is everything we're going to do until the end of the year. Told you every fight, every fight, every venue, the lineup was secure, right? And, and the logic was simple. I remember John Skipper saying, look, football fans get the schedule well in advance so they can plan their time accordingly. Why don't we do that for boxing? I thought it was smart. It was genius. That was exactly what we like to see. Right. Here's what you can look forward to for the next 12 weeks. And I can go, yes, no, no, yes, 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 no, no, yes. And I can schedule my time accordingly. And what I can also do is I can book hotels in advance if I want to go somewhere. Right? Fan-friendly option. Quite like that. Fast forward two years. That zone schedule just looks in tatters. And it's not like you can think of anyone that Eddie could dig up and go, oh, okay, we could, we could have this fight, we could have that fight. There's nothing. There's absolutely nothing in the stable. And it starts to feel like this is a managed retreat. Now, I don't know if it's just an Eddie Hearn managed retreat or a DAZN managed retreat. But there's definitely a retreat from U.S. boxing. Main, main event, U.S. boxing. I think Eddie will always do shows in Kansas and Omaha and Tulsa and, I don't know, Eugene, Oregon. Uh, Syracuse, 
Buffalo, uh, Eastern Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh. He'll do shows in places that fans don't really care about. They're not glamour locations. But the idea that Eddie Hearn will do do a Vegas fight or Madison, nah, I don't think he will. And I think there are a number of reasons behind that. I think we need to start really looking into what's going on at the zone and Metro. Now, if I, if I take my, my boxing hat off and switch hats quickly, there are times when you sit in a boardroom and you have a proposal, right? And it might be, look, in the next five years, I need to spend half a billion dollars, right? I need to spend half a billion dollars. Yeah, I know. And so I'll go, okay, first question for my half billion, what do I get in return? You can't just say to me, you get boxing shows. Because I can get boxing shows for 50 million over five years. So it can't be boxing shows. So what do I get? The only thing that's going to get me excited is you get me paying subscribers. Right? So I need at least 500 million worth of paying subscribers. Probably more because you've got to take into account the time value of money. A pound today is not a pound tomorrow. So let's look at it that way, right? And we spent half a billion in five years. So even if you say the acquisition costs 100 quid per customer, yeah, all of those customers I get, so I get, what, 100 quid per customer, I don't know, five, five million customers, right? Five million paying subscribers. And I'd need all of those guys to stay true for 12 months. And then pay, right? So it's 5 million customers for me to make my money back. Would have to put in over 100 pounds. Right now in the UK, the total cost per year is 97, but you can jump in and out anytime. So you might actually work out where most people stick with us for six months. Now I need 10 million customers. Do you see what I mean? Those acquisition costs become really important. I think DAZN are now getting scared at the cost of acquiring new sports fans in the absence of premier sports rights. So you then say to yourself, well, if boxing is this poor, a return on investment, what are our other sports doing? So what's Serie A doing? What's that doing for our subscribers? And I have a feeling what they're beginning to realize is it's cheaper to get the football rights in the long term, even if it's more expensive in the short term. Boxing's a declining sport. All the boxing metrics are wrong. Average age goes up. Average number of attendees at shows goes down. Number of fights goes down. On an annual basis, boxing's a sport in decline in the established markets. Now, in places like Germany, it'll always have a following. In places like the Philippines, it'll always have a following, but they're not commercial. So DAZN is now starting to say, Let, let's, let's pull back from this boxing and hold our money for when we can bid for the marquee sports rights. So that's the top American sports, NBA, NFL, even the NCAA stuff will draw in more subscribers than boxing has. Get the F1 in, maybe the cricket and definitely the football. So that, that becomes your strategic order now because nothing else is going to work. Eddie can't deliver. Oscar delivers in America, but nowhere else. So what do you do? And so they've probably had that conversation with Eddie. And if they haven't, Barry Hearn must have said, you can't keep running a business like this because Barry's an accountant. So there's a managed retreat. 
Now Eddie must be regretting leaving Sky. He had a model that worked for him. He was a bit of a passenger in some, to some degree, but it worked for him. But now you end up going over to the zone where you're more of the driver, but they don't really need you anymore. And they're not going to give you the money they said they would. So now you're just running around, scratching around, trying to make noise, trying to goad other people's fighters into fighting your guys. And it's not working anymore because we've seen through it. Year after year, we've seen through it. Well, let me see. Look at his prize assets. His three prize assets at the moment are Joshua, Dillian, and Derek in terms of commercial performers. None of those guys has a belt. None of those guys are the world champion, I should say. They have belts, but they're not world champions. After that, you've got Conor Ben, and then you have really nothing. So, guys, welcome to the boxing recession. The very thing I told you would come eventually, you know, this was all leading to a point where we were going to hit this boxing recession. Where people just didn't care about the sport enough to spend money on it. Now, to bring it home and to make it real for people, there was meant to be a show down in Kingston in southwest London. So it was like the Tolworth Leisure Centre. And it was a load of guys from the southeast, and a lot of Guildford guys like Chez, uh, who else was going to be on there? A senior Byfield was going to be in there, I think. And so on and so forth. There were going to be a, a load of names on there. But that show got cancelled. It got cancelled, I think, yesterday. Well, that's when the news came out. It got cancelled yesterday. The show was meant to happen tomorrow, Saturday. Yeah? So people have invested in camps. They've done their sparring. They've done their work. And you get told two days before. These, these guys are all heartbroken because a lot of those guys haven't fought since the pandemic started. So this was a chance to get out in front of the lights and just get the, you know, get back into the groove of things. And that fell through. If we go back a few weeks, you know, the, was it the Mo Pryor show where John Pilato was meant to fight, or the Alfie Warren show, where John Pilato was meant to fight Dominic for the southern area? Cancelled. Then I got told November 5th, but there's no show schedule on November 5th. So that tells me that's not going to happen either. And when people say, why? No one's buying tickets. No one cares. No one's buying tickets. And when you have shows in places like London, guys don't know how to sell tickets. They genuinely believe being a big name in the London boxing scene should mean people want to come and watch you. And we've had 18 months being locked in our houses. Some of us did things, you know, to varying degrees. Some people stuck to the rules, some people didn't. Officially, I stuck to the rules. I had some fun in between, but I stuck to the rules, depending how you define the rules. But everyone, as soon as the shackles were off, we had a list of things we wanted to do. We wanted to see family. We wanted to see friends. We wanted to go down to the beach. We wanted to just go for walks. Our weekends became sacred. Because for a lot of home workers, I know not everyone's working from home, but for a lot of home workers, you felt like you were in prison. So those weekends were like liberation. And I asked this question months ago. I said, how does boxing offer something compelling when everything feels compelling now? So if someone says to me, mate, do you want to go to, to Swingers, which is like a new baseball-themed bar? Why not? Because you've got that sense of let's live for the moment. And so into that, boxing came back and just said, it's business as usual, right? We're just going to put on shows and the people who bought tickets before are going to buy tickets now. Those fans are gone. 
I'm not buying tickets. I'll go to the November 20th show, the Boxer Show, which is at Wembley. It's convenient for me. Don't have to think twice about it. Nothing else. Unless there's a show on my doorstep, amateur or pro, I'm not going. It's not worth it. It's not that great a sport. And then even, even doing that, like people aren't banging the door down to sell tickets. Yeah, I can go on a website and I can put a name to a ticket. But no one's earned that. So I could go on and buy the ticket and go, well, would you like to subscribe this to a box? And I could go, yeah, Hosea Burton. But what's Hosea Burton done for my ticket? Nothing. Do you see what I mean? You know, I could put it down for Caroline Dubois, but what's Caroline done for my ticket? Nothing. And so that's the problem you have. When you have a market like that, it's time for the promoters to become the brand. It's time for the promoters to become the franchise. And boxers just get salaried. Boxers don't deserve the, the money they're begging because they're not even out there pounding the pavement, building their profile. Oh, what, what I need to do, mate, is just take it one fight at a time, stay in camp, stay in the gym, stay focused, stay hungry, do all of this, do all of that. Yeah, and my team will take care of the rest. Really? How many tickets are selling? None. You haven't even got a team around you. You haven't got people around you pushing you going, go. Oh, Check out my guy. Look at this. Look at that. You haven't got any of that. And my time's precious. So I have no interest. I don't need to prove my hardcore credentials to anyone. I have no interest in going to these shows if the boxers aren't going to be out there making me believe. The boxer who's out there right now making the world believe is the young kid, Freezy McBones. You know, and people know who Freezy is just from being on social media. But he's out there every day being vulnerable, putting himself out there saying, guys, get excited by me. And I watch him and I go, I'm definitely coming to your debut. And I need to come to your debut because I need to reward the work you've put in for the last two or three years. What's every other boxer doing? What, what is every other boxer doing? And so it comes back to this point I've been making for a long time. Boxers don't respect the fans. Right? I want you to remember that statement I just gave you. Boxers do not respect the fans. And if you don't believe me, go and look at, go and look at how boxers respond to fans on Twitter. Right? It's not my place to tell Callum Smith how, how to initiate a two-phase attack. Quite frankly, I don't care. But as a fan, it is every bit my right to tell Callum Smith I didn't like what I saw. What I saw was poor. And it's not an acceptable response to say, you couldn't do that. It's like, well, yes, that's why I'm a fan. And that's why you're in the ring. You're supposed to be capable of doing that. Yet you can't. That's what I have an issue with. I'm good at being a fan because I show up and I pay my money and I watch and I go home. I don't tear seats up. I don't fight in the crowd. I do my job as a fan. You're not doing your job as a fighter. I'm calling you up on it. In the same way as if I kicked off at a show, you'd say I was a disgrace. And so it comes back to it. Boxers don't respect the fans. Because normally fans don't make boxers earn their time. And if they did, most of these guys wouldn't have a career. And I'm saying to you as boxing fans and people listening to this, whichever side of the fence you're on, if you're a boxer, 
you need to do more. In fact, without, without qualification, without anything, you need to do more. If you're a fan, stop buying tickets. Just stop. You, people pay two grand to watch a next-gen show on the 30th. You know, you're sat there sometimes watching these substandard shows. If you really want to go and watch some competitive boxing, honestly, just pay the 10 or 15 quid and go to an amateur show. Just do it. You'll get your fix that way. You'll be around some good people. There'll be some good pubs around there. It's, it's just a better experience if you manage it right. But that's where we're at right now. We're, we're at that point. And it's probably a southern thing because like, you've got to give people credit. Like Dennis has been able to do show after show after show after show. And I'm not saying they all make money, but he's kept his momentum going. And I know they're doing shows in the Midlands. I know they're doing shows up north. I think there's a show on tonight, isn't there? Um, I know Joe Gallagher's got a guy boxing this weekend. So it's happening elsewhere. But no, I was talking to Colin Middlemass about this. We messaged each other about this. The kids up north seem better clued up on how to promote themselves. And I think it comes down to, to, to one crucial thing, actually. And I'm going to use examples of the two Jordans, Jordan Reynolds and Jordan Flynn. So if you look at Jordan Flynn, Jordan Flynn's a young prospect. He, he's got to be like three or four or no. Um, fought once on a matchroom show, I think, but probably needs to, to build away from the bright lights and then come back. Talented fighter. I'm biased because I know his brother, um, big, well, I know his, all his brothers, like Big Flinny and Kieran Flynn. I know all the guys. But Jordan Flynn is from Oxford. He's the only professional boxer from Oxford. That means he gets in the paper every time. Right? So there's a whole city that gets to see Jordan Flynn's face. It's the same with Jordan Reynolds. He's one of a handful of pro boxers from Luton. But he was probably the best amateur to come out of Luton in the last, I don't know, 15 years, we'll say. No disrespect to anyone else. But, you know, look at how far he got. So his face is always in the paper. You know, uh, he's only just coming to the pros. If you look at Linus, Linus had that sort of attraction as well. And Linus has a connection with the football club. When you come from these smaller towns, I think it's easier to build that profile. And if it's commutable to London, you can bring a sizable and interested fan base with you. Because you're going to be in the papers. It's the same, you know, the Sheffield star. You can be in the paper if you're Super Tommy Frank. Manchester Evening News. You can be in there if you're Lyndon Arthur. You know, and you can build. But London, for someone like Dan Aziz to get in the paper in London, like you might get as far as the Lewisham Chronicle. And you're dealing with people who generally don't like to, they don't have money to spend it, they don't have time really. So it's not really great for building your profile. There's nothing in London that gives you that. So actually, it's more advantageous to be from someone like Bournemouth or Portsmouth, where you're always going to be in the paper when you fight. And that's what people don't understand. Like, you've got to look at all of these things. And then what these guys were able to do is mobilize their families. Because, you know, if, you live in, if you're from Sheffield, you'll have cousins and that in Sheffield. And you mobilize your network to start selling for you. Basic stuff, right? Now, next time you see a boxer, ask them, what's your setup for selling tickets? Oh, well, just put out a tweet. Put out a bit, just a tweet, bit of stuff on Instagram, and hopefully people just buy the tickets, do my drop-offs the week before the fight. You know what I mean? Yeah, basic. But it's all of these things, and the general lack of talent coming through, 
that convinced me that we're, we're heading back to the dark ages in boxing. And I didn't want to sound that pessimistic, but that's where we're at. And it's boxing's own fault. Too many people trying to make too much money with too little talent. And no one's trying to work together. So maybe that's what we need now is we need some more consolidation. Let's go back to the days of just like Frank, Eddie and Mick Hennessy. And then Mick, Mick and Dennis can team up. And that's all we need in boxing. Everyone else, nah, nah there's, there's no value in it anymore. But actually, look, I don't want don't to drag your weekend down. So I just wanted to touch off really, really interesting thing I saw the other day. Well, yesterday, actually. And I found it fascinating. So there's a 20-second there's clip that BT Sport, I think either BT Sport or Frank Warren shared between Lyndon Arthur and Anthony Yard. And it's like the sort of, you know, when they're, when they're having the little photo shoot and they always stick a microphone there to capture the, the back and forth. And it was 20 seconds that was really informative. And if you can find it on Instagram or Twitter, I encourage you to watch it because it's fascinating. And it's the thing that got me the, the most excited for watching these two fight. Now, there are any number of reasons why uh, you have to watch it. The clip's interesting for any number of reasons, but there's a bit in there where it's jokey and they're just going back and forth and they're, they're jostling and they're, you know, just normal stuff you do when two competitive people meet. But there's a point where Lyndon Arthur says, you know why I asked for this fight. And if you watch the video, watch it really slowly. His whole demeanor changes. And I don't know if it was deliberate or not. But if you watch it in slow motion, everything before that looks quite happy and jovial and everything after that looks quite menacing. And it only makes sense when you know what you're looking for. And it takes Anthony Yard about a second, second and a half to clock where the energy's gone. And then he responds. And you can see his jaw muscles tighten up and he stiffens up a bit. And then he starts to zero in because he's like, oh, we're here now. And that was the first time I thought, I think this is personal, despite all the media and the trying to be respectful, this is really personal. And now that fight on December 4th, I'm like, I think they're going to go for it. Now, I don't know what the rest of that conversation said, but I have a feeling Anthony Yard, not Anthony Yard, Lyndon Arthur wants to show. He's not just a light punching guy with good technique. He wants to show that he's a dog in there. As I said in my previous episode, he hasn't been given the respect he deserves for what he's achieved. And so December 4th, Anthony Yard's fighting for redemption. And it looks like Lyndon Arthur's fighting for respect. Now that's compelling enough for me to, to, to get behind this fight. And I can't say which side I pick. I'll really pick a side, but I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how this build-up carries on. Are we going to see more of that kind of subtle menace coming through? Or are they going to go back to being happy and jovial? And I don't think it's helped by either trainer because you've got Tunde kind of poking the bear that is Pat Barrett and Pat Barrett responding. 
And one of the things that's come out of this, you know, people made fun of Tunde talking about going to the roads. And it's one of the things that people use in boxing a lot because it's that hackney narrative, isn't it, of uh, everyone in boxing comes from this really hard background and they had to scrap and scrimp and save and do all of this to survive. The reality is, no, nah, not anymore. Like <laughs> The profile of people who box out is completely different. But a lot of these guys also talk about the roads and they do it to... I'm going to word this carefully because these words are going to come back to haunt me. I'll call it scary black guy syndrome. And what I mean by that is when I was growing up, there'd be kids, young black kids who couldn't fight. You knew they couldn't fight because you'd see them get beaten up. But they'd walk around with the hood up, with the scarf over their face, and they'd always do that to intimidate people. Now, not in an offensive way as in give me your wallet, but it was more you should be scared of me, therefore you leave me alone. It was more of a defensive thing. But they do that a lot. And the problem with that is it can fall apart. Because there'll be someone who's like, I don't care who you are, I'll fight you anytime, anyplace. And so the whole thing falls apart. And you've seen the videos on, on social media of this, of the kids acting like they're tough. Two seconds later, guy's being picked up by his neck and slammed. And there's a lot of that when people talk about the roads. It's this idea that if I say I'm from the roads, you're going to assume that I was doing all of that stuff that you fear. But it's not about where you're from, it's about what you do. You know, and I don't I don't know. I don't think Tunde Jai has major cases behind him. I might be wrong on that. If anyone knows better, tell me. I don't think he does. From what I understand, he came from a good family. And he's of that generation of Africans that weren't really into crime. Do you see what I mean? He's not from this current generation where they are. He's from the old generation. Now, Pat Barrett... <laughs> Pat Barrett could already fight at a high level. Pat Barrett is a tough man. Pat Barrett is a hard man without needing a street reputation. There are video clips of Pat Barrett being a tough guy in a boxing ring. And I don't care what anyone says, that is the toughest place you can be a tough guy. And he was a tough guy. Now add in the stuff that, you know, to, to be a controlling voice at Stony Collihurst and Moston Boxing Club, You've got to be something. You can't, do, you can't be a shrinking violet. You can't have no reputation because there are people who walk through that door with reputations. But you'd never hear Pat Barrett say, we'll take it to the roads. Because he doesn't need to. He's from there and you can see it in his face. Number one. Number two, he showed you in the ring what he's about. He doesn't have to take it anywhere. He can do it anytime, anyplace. So I thought that was just disappointing by Tunde to try, and, to try and play that game against a guy who never had to play that game in his life. And kudos to Pat Barrett for, for letting people know that, listen, some of us are serious around here. And kudos to him for doing that. But it's a lesson, man. People need to stop doing this whole I'm from the streets thing if you don't have verifiable activity on those streets. And I don't think Tunde has. So I don't, I don't agree with that. Like, you know, we can all show bail forms. We can all show this. We can all show, we all have paperwork from, from being young and stupid. We all have paperwork. That, that doesn't mean I'm from the roads. It just means I like causing trouble. I like having a scrap every so often. 
But there are guys who are really from the roads. They're the guys who built the lifestyle that other people rap about. Pat Barrett's from that cloth. I wouldn't be disrespecting him, and I don't think Tunde should be either. But no, December 4th, looking forward to that fight, Lyndon Arthur versus Anthony Yard. It's building into something really compelling, and I think this is the kind of fight that Hearn should be selling. Frank's not a guy that can sell this fight because he would just sell it like he's selling milk. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is a fight where there's legit needle between them, and that's where Hearn comes into his own. But here it just kind of feels like, I don't know, like we're just punching the clock. You know, Maybe it's time for Dev to step up and start making more noise about these things. And then the other thing I wanted to touch on quickly on the subject of that was the Jamel Herring versus Shakur Stevenson stare down. It's the same principle. Jamel Herring's a Marine. He saw active service. He lost people. Let me say that again. Jamel Herring is an active Marine. Or sorry, a former Marine, not an active. What am I saying? He saw service, though. He's not active. He saw service. He lost people. That's a different mindset to what Shakur Stevenson brings to the table. I'm not saying Jamal Herring's a better boxer. What I am saying is he's led that life. You can't question his toughness. Do you see what I mean? You can't question... Back to what I said before. We can talk about the streets of this area, the streets of that area. He went to war. Shakur Stevenson didn't. Shakur Stevenson cried when he didn't get a gold medal. Jamal Herring cried when he buried his comrades. Two different animals. And you saw that in the body language. How, how Herring just kept control? That's unbelievable. And quite unnerving, I imagine, if you're Shakur Stevenson. And I hope we see that tension in the fight. Because I'd like to see Jamal Herring do well. He's just one of those guys you have to like. His story is amazing. What he's done so far is amazing. How he conducts himself is exemplary. So, you know, salute to him for conducting himself like a gentleman, the way a real boxer should. And, you know, I mean, hopefully we're now heading into this fourth quarter and we're going to get some of these entertaining fights. And probably at that point I should sign off. But before I do, here's what I want to clarify, because I know I said in the last episode I might get to 100 and tap out. What I should really say is I have a shelf life too. And I don't want to do episodes where people are like, they were better six months ago. They were better a year ago. So I have to look at my exit point and say, when will I stop doing my own thing? I'll always do other people's stuff because it's fun. Like when I just have to react in the moment and I can just sort of be a bit funny, a bit more engaging. I'll always do that sort of stuff. But for me doing my own thing, we're definitely closer to the end than the beginning. So it might not be bang on 100, but I don't think it will be another year. But then I don't think there'll be anything interesting to discuss in boxing a year from now anyway. But we're definitely into the countdown. And what that will do is it will force me to, to think about what I want to say and who I want to bring on and, you know, just start having a bit more fun with it as well now. Now that I know it feels like the final lap. Will my voice go dead? No, I'll do something else. That's what I'll do. I'll do something else. I'll, I want to do something with more reach and, you know, something that can be discussed in wider circles than just boxing. You know, there's no point in, in you know, living in the world we live in and only talking about boxing. There's so much that can, that can be discussed and talked about. And that's probably where my head is at, to be honest with you. 
that's a good point to say listen have a great weekend guys and i will be back as soon as you need me mm-hmm.